Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Mafadon. Thanks for tuning in. In Boston, the embrace has arrived. Hundreds came to the Boston Common last Friday to honor the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife, Coretta Scott King, at the official unveiling of the embrace. The 20-foot-high monument by artist Hank Willis Thomas depicts a 1964 photograph of the couple, embracing after learning King won the Nobel Peace Prize. Boston is hallowed ground for the Kings. It's the city where they fell in love and built a safe space in each other before stepping fully into the civil rights movement. Now, 70 years later, Boston's embrace will be a place of inspiration, love, and belonging. I feel that they are somehow with me, that our spirits are joined in the quest for a just, loving, and peaceful world. I am very proud to be their granddaughter but I am also challenged by their inspiring legacies of vision and courage and hope and healing. But I know that I am not alone. There is a sense in which we are all children and grandchildren of Martin and Coretta Scott King. They never mocked American ideals. Instead, they lived them by caring about the left out and the left back hearing the unheard, seeing the unseen, calling out the inescapable link between the mighty and the meek. They lived American ideals by being the light that drives out darkness. And to many in the moment and many more, through the echoes of time, they gave us a reason to hope. And it's here where from this day forward, we will gaze up at interlocking arms and see it as a call to action for a more equitable and inclusive society. More on King, Boston celebrated the life and legacy of the iconic civil rights leader at Monday's Memorial Breakfast. At the 53rd Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Breakfast, Boston's beloved community gathered once again to reflect on the vision shared by the civil rights leader. For the past two years, I've been able to emcee this event, but it was virtually, so I was doing it from my living room. We tried to do a hybrid last year, but Omicron had other plans, so I think it's just so amazing to have everyone in the room and to feel the collective spirit, especially when you're talking about something like education, and you have educators in the room and public officials and everybody who's really invested in it. As the nation's longest-held ceremony honoring the legacy of MLK, the breakfast is not only a tradition, but a forum to assess the work required to achieving the dream Dr. King fought so hard for. This year's theme, Reclaiming Our Rights, Education and Activism, centered teachers in the heart of the conversation. I was heartened to see the lavish shout-out made for the educators in this room because we know the life of an educator never, there's no weekend or no holiday when it comes to being an educator. And I just say that this morning because 
The greatest asset in the state are our people. And we are grateful as we begin this breakfast this morning to those who, out of sight, out of limelight, uh, not getting the attention this morning, are doing the incredibly, uh, incredibly hard work and most profound work all across the state. A panel discussion of BPS educators and politicians did not shy away from uncomfortable troops. We cannot only center the labor of educators, we have to center their lives. I don't just love you for your labor and brilliance, I forget about your life. And so that means that you can't be burdened by things like student debt, which is a racial justice issue. Uh, that means your housing has to be affordable. That means you do have to have access to behavioral and mental health services. So the best way that we support our babies is by supporting our educators. And we support our educators by not just defining their value by their labor, but by giving a damn about their lives. Music and performances uplifted the room, highlighting black excellence. Keynote speaker Jelani Cobbs provided a historic look at Dr. King's approach and encouraging words for the conflicts we face now. When our days grow dreary and our nights grow darker than a thousand midnights, we will nonetheless know that we are witnessing the creative tension of a genuine civilization struggling to be born. The morning concluded with an award ceremony for students and the new generation of Boston leaders. Love doesn't have a shape. She follows her own direction. Love may walk in a circle or in a straight line. Love may trip and stumble. In fact, love often will fall. But love is never alone. Love is awaiting your call. Next, the historic inauguration of Attorney General Andrea Campbell. I, Andrea Joy Campbell, do solemnly swear, do solemnly swear that I will support the Constitution, that I will support the Constitution of the United States, of the United States. Upon her swearing in, Andrea Campbell made history as the first black woman elected into a statewide office at her inauguration on Wednesday as the new Attorney General. My hope is that everyday women and young people who look like me and see the incredible work of this office will feel less invisible, despairing, and lonely because there continues to be a shining example of what is possible. Her platform promises to uplift immigrant communities, ensure access to affordable health care and housing, establish access to quality education, and create a fair justice system that better serves Massachusetts residents. There was support and unshakable confidence in Campbell's success. She is going to build equity into everything, into climate justice, health care justice, educational justice, housing justice for our state. She will be the leader in enforcing the law that makes sure that there is equal justice for everyone. Campbell is a powerhouse and a welcome new addition to the changing tides of state government. We can't wait to see what she'll accomplish in her new role. In West Roxbury, Latasha Barnes busts the move with fellow veterans. Dance is considered by some to be a cathartic and essential art form. 
For veteran Latasha Barnes, it's how she expresses herself and a way to help others. Last Saturday, she found herself in like company, leading an artist discussion and dance workshop with veterans at the West Roxbury VA Medical Center. It's really an honor to be able to come back into a space like this that's given so much to me, and especially being able to be in service primarily to women veterans who are here today. It was really, really fulfilling to be able to share this part of myself that's also come out of this experience. So, Veterans got on their feet and danced along as she taught them about black jazz and the social dance Lindy Hop. The movement itself, it was just fun to learn a little jazz, right? You don't always know the, the dance steps, but I really enjoyed learning the culture of the jazz history here in America. Dance is a new way of life for Latasha, who joined the U.S. Army at 18 and served for 10 years. But life took a turn in 2004 when she was hit by a car while on active duty. She was placed on the path of dance to treat her disability. I had a rogue physical therapist uh, tell me to try dance therapy. Of course, working in medical fields now, we know dance therapy, this really ethereal, beautiful, mindful movement to place you in your body and get you centered into the ground. And because of my cultural upbringing, I thought she meant dance therapy. <laughs> so I went to find a beginner dance class um, to continue my therapeutic recovery. And lo and behold, another career was born. She soon developed a hunger to learn more about a variety of styles, including hip hop, house, and lindy hop. In movement, there was meaning. Yeah, dance is the answer. Um, not just in this meditative, slow, thoughtful, mindful way, but genuinely, dance is the answer. Like rooting you back in your culture, rooting you back with your people, rooting you into everything that made you joyful and celebratory when you were little is always the answer to pulling you up from a low place. Latasha created the Dance Continuum, a movement exploration highlighting the prolific artistry of jazz music and dance as a cornerstone of Black American culture. The show celebrates music and dance throughout the diaspora, from Harlem to Brazil and beyond. Um, it's a very, very special project to me, and it's something that was born out of my military service, honestly. In the short workshop, Latasha's passion for dance is palpable, a flame first kindled by her great-grandmother, Elizabeth Harris, who taught her to never give up. That's the main thing. She was always a champion of never stopping. <laughs> Just if you find an obstacle, that's fine. Find your way around it and keep it going. So I'm keeping it moving. We have the joy of having veterans Andrea Gill Bennett and Cynthia Shelton Harris from Latasha's class and join us. Andrea is a 38-year-old, 38-year veteran of the Massachusetts Army National Guard. She currently serves on the boards of several veterans councils and she's an officer of the Massachusetts Disabled American Veterans. Cynthia served 27 years in the U.S. Air Force Reserves and is now Deputy Director of Veteran Services for the City of Cambridge. We talked in depth about vital resources offered to veterans as well as disabled veteran services. Enjoy the conversation. Latasha Barnes, who led Saturday's dance workshop, shared how she sustained life-changing injuries and a disability not visible to the eye. So she happened to find healing through dance therapy, but what other alternative forms of treatment are available to veterans with disabilities? Personally, I have used acupuncture, 
I've used uh, meditation, yoga. I think the thing that helped me the most was my service dog. Uh, that wasn't actually through the VA. I happened to see another veteran with a service dog at the VA, and he uh, uh, put me in touch with the organization that that trained uh, service dogs for veterans with PTSD, TBI, traumatic brain injuries, and, and MST, which is military sexual trauma. Um, a lot of our veterans do work with the VA, um, and some do not. So some actually go through the vet center. And in addition to acupuncture, yoga, meditation, um, several of them have started to utilize um, chiropractic medicine along with uh, gyrokinesis, uh, which is a form of movement. It looks similar to dancing, but it is not. Um, it's um, it's paired with Pilates, and so we have the benefit being in Cambridge that there's a little bit of everything here. So we'll just keep trying until we try to find something that actually works. All right, thank you. And what are some misconceptions that you'd like to clear up about veterans who are dealing with uh, disabilities that are not visible to the eye? I'd like to... Uh Take it from the standpoint of the veteran, because what I hear a lot in, in my travels is veterans will say, I, I don't have, as a, have it as bad as other veterans, and so I don't deserve the help. And I continually saying to them that, you know, you've earned the right to be healthy. You, <laughs> everyone deserves to be healthy. And so whether your trauma is mild, moderate, or severe, everyone should be treated and and receive the care that they need. So, so I look at it that way. The other thing that I I, I notice is there's still a bit of a stigma uh, around mental health. Um, you know, we're taught in the military. You know, if you ask for help, it's a sign of weakness. You can do it, push through, keep going. Uh, but sometimes you you just need you need help, and and it's not a sign of weakness. It is actually a sign of strength. Uh, to, to go and get the help that you need. I work in veteran services for the city of Cambridge um, in conjunction with the state of Massachusetts. And we hear every day that yet, well, you know, I don't want to take this from another veteran. And it is, I, I basically should get a t-shirt that says the VA has enough resources to assist you and them and her and him and whomever. Um, and to get people to get into the mindset, as the general said, uh, they deserve to be healthy um, and whole. And so I know the VA moved towards the model of whole health, um, mind, body, spirit, um, realizing that if one part isn't working, the other parts don't work as well. Thank you. And as women, uh, black women who have served many years in the armed forces, what are some of the challenges that veterans face coming out of that life, particularly women of color? There is a lack of um, natural, organic, peer network for women, for women and especially women of color. Um, you, you just don't have the space to freely share your experiences. And so then that tends to lead to isolation uh, during that transition. And it, it, it's somewhat because of the structure of the military. Uh, one of the things that I experienced because of my rank, there aren't, first of all, there aren't many women. Uh, I was always in a space with men, hmm. men. And, and then there's 
you know, this non-fraternization thing. So enlisted and officers really shouldn't get together. And if there are women of color that are not officers, really are not supposed to hang out with them. And so it really does set up, set you up for, for division. Um, I think other things that are difficult for women, especially black women, is that there is an inherent bias um, against women, even though the military it, on paper looks like everything is equal, you know, you, you get paid the same for the same job, but there's a bias because if you're a mother and you have to take time off, then you lose time in towards your, your progression and, and, and your promotion. And then that translates in the civilian world because now there's a gap in your resume. So yeah, I, I would say the peer network is is the most important is the most significant uh, issue. Each of you, even though you are retired, you're still doing work now to uplift other veterans through your work. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the organizations that you work for and the services that they're providing to help veterans? Certainly, I joined uh, the DAV, the Disabled American Veterans, in 2019, just before COVID, actually, and it was about a year after my retirement. Uh, a, a fellow uh, service member, actually, it was he was the uh, the director of veteran services at the time. He said to me, "You know, you should look into the DAV. Their mission is something that I'm sure you would get behind, and their mission basically." is it states it's empowering veterans to lead high quality lives um, with respect and with dignity and and they do that through serving veterans um, so we provide uh, voluntary services in the the medical uh, facilities the VA medical facilities that we have we provide transportation uh, for veterans who need rides to get to their doctor's appointments uh, we assist them in filing their claims both on the state uh, state claims and and VA claims uh, we advocate with our elected officials uh, for bills and and through the legislature for for whatever is coming up that that would benefit a veteran. So I actually am working full time um, for the city of Cambridge in veteran services. Uh, along with, I am a member of DAV. I'm also a member of the American Legion. So to the general's point, finding something that has a mission to it. That's quite a reach. So for our viewers who want to support the work that both of you are doing with your organizations or even the veterans in their lives, how can they do so? And the support can come in many forms. It can be your time. Uh, you can volunteer with the DAV. Uh, you can support financially, and that helps the DAV provide more services. Um, spend time with a veteran um, and take the time to listen to what they have to say. Um, we've got stories to tell, um, but we, we only want to tell it if you want to listen. We don't, you know, so yeah, so spend time. Uh, I, I think that that would be a good start. Those those things would be a good start. 
Roxbury Community College's Dean of Students, Robin Shaheed Bellet, was looking for a way to re-engage young men of color with her, their education when she met Kurt Faustin, creator of the Dropout Academy, a program that helps students graduate to a new mindset. Their collaboration brought Kurt's program to RCC for six weeks to help her male students of color build life skills necessary for educational and career success. Take a look. The Dropout Academy has nothing to do with schools. Everyone always thinks it's dropping out of school, but it's more of uh, school limiting thoughts. Mm -hmm. There was a statistic I read not that long ago that was the driver of the Dropout Academy, which really spoke to 85% of our success. 85 to 87% of our success is based off emotional intelligence, not technical knowledge. And everywhere I go, or even growing up, there's a lot of educational institutions that teach us the technical knowledge. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, I didn't learn anything around self-awareness, self-management, relationship management, empathy, and those are the key factors for anyone to be successful. So I realized that if you're not where you want to be, you have to drop out a school of limiting thoughts so you could graduate to a best version of you. And that was, the, that was kind of the origin story of it. I love that so much. And Robin, Roxbury Community College is the first university to partner with Kurt uh, in this endeavor in terms of bringing this program into the university setting for men of color. Um, so the first cohort uh, started uh, September, October of last year. Can you take us through what was covered in the six-week session and why it was important for you to bring this program to RCC? At Roxbury Community College, I mean, our students are, are amazing. They're you know, extremely resilient, um, but they face many challenges. And one of the things that we were trying to do um, through our success initiative at RCC was create programming um, that would create more of an impact for our men of color, um, recognizing that our students um, have many challenges that are outside of the classroom. Uh, we do have programming on campus, such as Project Access, um, which, is, which will address um, some of the barriers, such as um, food insecurity, um, housing, transportation. So that was already existent on our campus. Um, but it was important that we expand our programming specifically for our men of color. So partnering with Kurt, um, hearing about what he was doing with Dropout Academy was just a no-brainer. And our students have um, really responded well to this, to this initiative. Yeah, yeah and um, just kind of going off of that, what we taught during that uh, semester um, the topics were mental health, emotional intelligence, growth mindset, uh, financial literacy, team building, relationship management. Those were, the, those were the main topics that we spoke about. Definitely, and so important, teaching those intangible skills exactly. that often overlooked in school. Mm -hmm. uh, so according to the Massachusetts Department of Higher Education, mm -hmm. they did a study where they found that only 17% of Latino male students and 22% of African-American male students of low-income backgrounds actually complete high school and then go on to complete college within a six-year um, time frame. Uh, this was particularly shocking when you think about Massachusetts mm -hmm. being this hub of education um, and the overall graduation rate for high school students in that same time frame was 50 percent. Mm -hmm. um, why is it that men of color are falling behind and what can higher education do about it? Well, I mean, I can speak to, you know, for our students, um, you know, many of our students come from underserved um, communities um, that have um, economic challenges that were exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, some of our students are parents, which also adds a layer of um, economic and time pressures. 
And then we have students uh, who are coming from high schools who that, that does not have as many resources as schools um, from more wealthier, in more wealthier communities, um, is what I'm trying to say. And then we also have a number of first-generation students as well. So all of those factors, um, which are just a few, there are many, um, mm -hmm. but we only have <laughs> a few minutes to speak about that today, um, are some of the reasons why some of our students are falling behind. But what we are doing at Roxbury Community College is we are um, increasing our support system. So we have a robust um, academic advising department. We have a success center to help address some of these barriers the students are facing. And then partnering with, you know, Kirk and his organization, the Dropout Academy, where he is addressing the emotional and uh, mental well-being of our students is also important. So I think it's important for higher education um, essentially to meet students where they are. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, I thought it was very important because just generally speaking, um, I've been working with multitude of different schools and organizations, specifically with men of color, whether it was Boston pre-release back in the day to halfway houses such as Demick Center, mm -hmm. to going to elementary school, high schools, and middle high schools, and now colleges. Um, one thing I can appreciate about RCC is their active role in making sure that the program is successful. And January is National Mentoring Month. And uh, which is wonderful. And the Dropout Academy will be returning this month for its next cohort of RCC students. And uh, what's really lovely is that yeah. this iteration will have students from the first group yeah. uh, serving as mentors. Um, can you share a little bit about what's been some of the, the feedback from that group and um, speak to the, the significance of mentoring uh, for black men? Yeah, so. The significance of mentoring for black men is really, um, we really try focusing kinesthetic learning, right? Where you kind of get to, you hear the skill, you hear the skills, but you now get to teach it, right? That's when you're going to retain the information a lot more. And we understand something very well is that, for example, kids model the behaviors that they see around them. So what better, what better role or what better growth for this program to have these men that have now graduated this particular program now model the behaviors that we're looking to see them demonstrate on a consistent basis. We're not just looking for them to graduate per se from RCC. That is a step to a bigger goal of them being healthy, successful within the community of Roxbury and beyond. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm getting that opportunity to do that with um, RCC and having these men now take an active role in their education right. by teaching, by um, inspiring, by motivating is going to have a long lasting impact that we'll probably hopefully see decades along the line. Excellent. And it really feels like teaching or mentoring, it's a, it's a second education to really have those skills marinate it, as well. Yeah. yeah I, if you look... Uh, what's that famous quote that they say? Um, um, you, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again by expecting different results. Mm -hmm. And right now, for the how many years, decades, that we have been failing the men of color. I do think if we take a more creative approach to education by introducing more kinesthetic learning, by having more partnership, coaching services, just like Robin stated, we're going to be able to have a different result for the numbers that you stated earlier. Mm. And this question is for the both of you. Uh, what message do you have for young men of color who have been derailed from college or believe that college is not for them? Well, I can say um, I'm not a, a man of color, um, but I can say, you know, it's never too late 
um, you know, I think that, you know, if the determination is there, if the will is there, you can make anything happen. You know, speaking from my own personal story, you know, I was a teen mom. You know, I had my son when I was 17, 17 years old. I have a 31-year-old. I know I don't look like it. Um, but, you know, it was hard, you know, but I still managed to persist, you know, get my degree, my bachelor's, two graduate degrees, you know, because, you know, the motivation was there and the um, stick-to-itiveness was there. So I think, you know, if, if you have the, the will, there is always a way. You know, I think, you know, at RCC, you know, we are doing our best to help our students who have that will persist and get their education. Absolutely. And you, Kurt? <laughs> um, just being very transparent, I don't believe for certain people higher education m might fail you, right? I have, unfortunately, I've went to five different colleges and I, I dropped out five times, right? Mm -hmm. And that was due to the fact I don't believe they had the support systems to meet me exactly where I'm at. So for a lot of men of color, of course, higher education is a step to a bigger goal, but I believe part of that bigger goal is going to also involve self-education. When you have self-education plus higher education, you'll be able to achieve any dreams, goals, and aspirations. So I would implore you to find an institution that is providing both services that because they're not looking at you as a statistic, they're not looking at you as a dollar bill, they're actually looking over your well-being. And organizations such as RCC, mm -hmm. they're fulfilling that goal. Thank you. And for our viewers who are interested in learning more about the Dropout Academy, possibly enrolling, yeah. or for organizations that might want to partner with you in the future, how can they do so? It's the dropoutacademy.org. Well, www.thedropoutacademy.org. Or they can look me up, Kurt Faustin, on all social media platforms. Thanks for tuning in, Boston. For BNN News, I'm Faith Maffodon. I'll see you 